0: Good morning. good morning. You all right this morning? Good. Um, who's been with us over the last few weeks? Yeah, have you enjoyed this uh, this this come to the table series? Been 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 good, I think. Just just focusing a little bit on communion and focusing on really what it means to to take communion. And this has been this is part of this year of series that we're doing. We're doing a um, all this year we're, we're looking at how we go deep and wide on our journey with Jesus and, and how do we become more like Jesus and, and how do we know Jesus more and, and if you've been around with us you know that during this season of Lent we've been looking at how we can draw closer to God and have a deeper experience of God's presence through the practice of communion. We also call this maybe the Lord's Supper or Eucharist if you come from a more of an Anglican background, you probably know it as the Eucharist. For, uh, for many who've grown up in church, or certainly if you've been in church for a little while, you might see communion as just a ritual, as something that we do as Christians, as followers of Jesus. But actually, communion is so much more than a ritual, it's a transformative experience where we remember, celebrate, and encounter God in an amazing way. It's where we can experience deeply both God's love and presence powerfully. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at how much we are loved by God. That because of that love, Jesus entered the world to rescue us through his sacrifice and death on the cross. And how because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been made new. We have a new identity but also that through the continual refreshing and power of the Holy Spirit, that we're not only reconciled to God, but to one another, which is evidenced through our pursuing justice for others. And so today, we come to the end of this series by looking forward, by anticipating that future meal we will one day have with Jesus. So what do I mean by anticipating a future meal? Well, let me ask, answer that by asking you a question. Have you ever anticipated a meal before? Yeah. All the time, <laughs> just look at me. I mean, really anticipated it, though. Really looked forward to it in expectation, even excitement. Have you ever looked forward so much to eating a meal that you start to plan exactly what you're going to eat. You've already got the menu up on the, on the website. You like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to have. But as you plan what you're going to eat, you can almost taste it in your mouth. Your mouth begins to water. Anyone? <laughs> no, not just me, then. That's good. Although I'm sure me anticipating a meal shouldn't come as a big surprise to you. I'm sure some of you have looked forward to a meal before. Maybe going out for that birthday meal to your favourite restaurant, or planning what you're going to be eating on Christmas Day. I would say that that we as a family, my wife, Esther, and our two girls, we really experience this in a major way every two, three years or so. So let me take a step back and and explain something to you. My lovely, amazing, long-suffering wife, Esther, is Singaporean Chinese. Now, if you've never been to Singapore, then let me enlighten you to the two national pastimes, if you like, of Singaporeans. First, Singaporeans liked to shop. Fun fact, Singapore- Singaporeans are the fastest walkers in the world. <laughs> That's true. I assume it's so that they can get around the shops quicker and get more shopping in, in a shorter time. I don't know. All I know is I've spent the last 24 years telling Esther to slow down when we're walking. And secondly, Singaporeans love to eat. And with good reason. Singaporean food is amazing. They manage to mix in all different cultures and regional foods, so that there is always something amazing to eat. And we, as a family, we love the food. Well, I definitely do. Trust me, there's a reason that I'm this size. It's got nothing to do with the lack of exercise. I'm sure of it. <laughs> anyway, because Esther's parents and extended family are still in Singapore, then every two to three years, we go out there to visit family. And just before we do, we start to think about <laughs> the food. What dishes are we going to have? Where are we going to eat? We start to plan, we start to anticipate. And, and I tell you, we don't waste time. There's a place that we go to literally in the airport, in Changi Airport, as we land, We're like, we land, we're there, straight away. That's where I go, get my charcoal, my oyster omelette. For those of you who are familiar with that region, mm. (laughs) so good. Last time we went, Abigail had a list of food and places that she wanted to go to and eat. And we spent the time just ticking them up. Where are we going to next? Right, okay, we've done that. Alaskan chili crab was my favorite on that list. The point is, and I do have a point, I think, is that we know what it is to to anticipate a future meal. A future meal that we are really looking forward to. But what has that got to do with communion? I hear you ask. It's a great question. Thanks for asking. (laughs) To answer that, let's turn to the Bible. Now, time to get your Bibles out, whether that's physical or electronic. Uh, We're going to be looking at the end of the Bible, so to the book of Revelation. It's the very last book in the Bible, so if you've got a physical one, just flip all the way to the end. If you don't have a Bible, let me just say it's a really, really good thing to, to bring your Bible to church, but if you don't have one with you, don't worry, we will have the verses up on the screen. So, we are in Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and we're in chapter 19, starting at verse 6. Are you there? Yeah? Good. I'm reading from the ESV. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters... And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Then we skip down a couple of verses to verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Sometimes the word supper doesn't quite capture the magnificence, the lavishness, the sheer enjoyment or satisfaction of what that meal represents. In the New Living Translation, that verse is translated as, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And if the NLT is too loose a translation for you, then how about the Lexham English Bible? This is a literal word-for-word translation rendering the original text, in this case Greek. And so it says, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the banquet of the wedding celebration of the Lamb. I think that conveys a little bit more than just supper. Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet, to the wedding feast. I want to go to that meal. Let me go off a tangent just for a minute. Have you ever noticed there is a lot of talk of food and meals and feasts in the Bible? Has anyone ever noticed that? I tend to zone in on these kind of things. Um, Feasting in the, both the Old and the New Testaments is a big deal. God uses feasting as a means of reminding the people of God what He has done for them. The Passover meal in Exodus 12, which is a feast to remind Jesus of how God—sorry, remind Jews of how God rescued and delivered them out of Egypt. The number of feasts goes on and on. So in addition to the feast of the Passover, we have the feast of first fruits, the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of Pentecost, the feast of trumpets, the feast of atonement, the feast of tabernacles. All of these feasts point to something bigger, something greater than themselves. It isn't about the food. It's about what they are pointing towards. And they're all ultimately pointing towards God. And hopefully over the last five weeks, that is exactly what has happened as you have listened to the talks and then taken communion. That the communion has pointed you towards something greater. That it has pointed you towards God. It pointed you towards Jesus. Okay, tangent over. Let's get back on track. So, communion points us towards a future meal with Jesus. That future feast with Jesus. That, well, let's be honest, that future party. It will be a huge celebration, a massive party. But what is it that we will be celebrating? As has already been mentioned today by both Michelle And, Steve, today in the church calendar is known as Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is when we commemorate or remember when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the Sunday before Passover. This is the Sunday before he was crucified. And we're going to read about that in John chapter 12. Starting at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Let me give you a little bit of context here. So by this point in Jesus's ministry, he had received a bit of a reputation. He had healed people. He had raised people from the dead. He had cast out demons. He was a great teacher or rabbi and has also been speaking about this thing called the kingdom of God coming. Now this had all the hallmarks of a Jewish Messiah. And so a large crowd of people who had come to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover decided that this was the time to declare Jesus as the Messiah. So they waved palm tree branches and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Let me explain to you, if I can. That was radical to the extreme. Nowadays we just think, "Oh, wasn't that sweet?" You know, some palm leaves being waved or palm branches being waved. That's all very nice. It was hugely radical. The reason was is that the palm tree branch had been adopted as the national symbol of Judea. Judea was where Jerusalem was and was part of the Roman Empire. Caesar was the king. But here was a large crowd waving their nationalistic symbol and declaring someone else, not Caesar, king of Israel. And this p- fit perfectly with their understanding of the Messiah, someone who would come and overthrow the Roman empire, who would bring back the kingdom of God to Israel, as it had been in the time of King David or King Solomon. They expected a triumphant warrior king. But Jesus knew that he would usher the kingdom of God in, in another way, an unexpected way. Instead of riding into Jerusalem on a magnificent war horse, he rode in on a donkey, a symbol of peace, not war. The crowds may have misunderstood why they were celebrating Jesus, but what they got completely right was that Jesus was worth celebrating. And that is what we should be doing. When we gather here on a Sunday, when we worship Jesus and especially when we receive communion. We should be celebrating Jesus. And let's be honest with each other. How often do we truly celebrate Jesus and who he is? We all know how to celebrate. We do it all the time. Last year, when England beat Panama, 6-1 in the World Cup, we celebrated, especially when we were here watching it on the big screen, We were screaming and yelling and cheering at the tops of our lungs. Harry Kane could do no wrong, even if he were not a Spurs fan. We celebrate others easily. I see it on Facebook. I've done it myself. We post our kids' or our family's successes. We celebrate. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do any of those things. Far from it. But why do we not seem to put the same level of celebration into celebrating Jesus. John tells us in that verse that we read earlier in Revelation 19, Jesus is worthy to be celebrated. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pills of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him The glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's a celebration, a celebration for the King, Jesus. John is telling us that the sole focus of that future meal, that future feast, will be Jesus. We will be there to celebrate Jesus. But how often, though, do we forget this when we come to communion? Sometimes we we take communion, we are focused instead on ourselves. We are me-focused rather than God-focused. We are focused on our own sin and brokenness. We are focused on maybe how we've messed up. We are maybe when we, we focus on how we don't feel worthy to take communion. We need to change our focus. Communion points us towards celebrating Jesus. Jesus should be our focus. Okay, that was point one. Only six more to go, so we're we're good, we're good. I'm kidding. Point two. Communion points us towards a future meal where not only do we have a person to celebrate, Jesus, but we also have a reason to celebrate. Back again in Revelation 19. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Does anything strike you as odd about that verse? Now, don't get me wrong. Revelation is a poetic and a prophetic book that has a massive amount of symbolic metaphor. So actually, you're probably thinking, Paul, all of Revelation is a bit odd, and you may have a point. But in this verse, it strikes me as odd that the angel specifically says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The angel is saying, make sure you write this down. Make sure you get this. This is really important. Now, John is probably writing everything down. I certainly would be. But the angel is saying specifically, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to this great feast. Let me first say, and at risk of upsetting some of my Calvinist friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are invited. But the implication is that not everyone is invited. If everyone can attend the wedding feast, then you don't need... An invitation. As preparation for this talk, I googled, as every good preacher does, um, I went to Google and I said, uh, I googled for not invited to the wedding. Oh my goodness. A hundred and two million results. There are entire forums and pages dedicated To this stuff. They explain the best way to not invite someone. Seriously. (laughs) How to deal with not being invited and the trauma that it causes. What the etiquette and rules are in each scenario, whether you're the invitee or the non-invited. How to get revenge on those (laughs) who didn't invite you. My favourite, how to turn up anyway despite (laughs) not being invited. You can't write this stuff. This is clearly a major issue in today's culture. But what if you were not invited to the most amazing celebration feast of all time? The celebration of King Jesus. And not being invited to the feast meant eternal separation from Jesus. What if you were excluded? What if Jesus decided that actually he was only going to have a 1,000-seat table at the banquet and only the top 1,000 made it in? What if Jesus had not commissioned the Apostle Paul to bring the good news to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and that only Jews were invited? What if Jesus demanded that you did certain things to get invited? What if the benchmark was raising 100 people from the dead, and you only managed 99? Sorry, but you're one short, no invite. I thank God that that is not the case. Jesus did all the work. Jesus met all the criteria on our behalf. There is a seat at the party for you. We just have to trust in him. If you believe in and follow Jesus, then you are invited. That invitation alone is a reason to celebrate. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So in conclusion, when we receive communion, remember that it is in anticipation of that future meal, that future feast. So celebrate Jesus for who he is and celebrate that you are invited because Jesus is all we need. Let me end this quote from a theologian you may have heard from me before, N.T. Wright. From his book, he's written an entire book on the communion called The Meal Jesus Gave Us. And he says this, we may conclude that within the whole action of the Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the story, the drama, the actions, and above all, the prayer and the love, this food through the Spirit's mysterious work, is a true anticipation in the present of the food that will sustain us in the age to come. And the name of that food is Jesus. If you're able to, then, then please stand. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And we'll have um, wine or alcoholic and bread over here. We'll set up a little table here to have the gluten-free option. And over here, we've, we've got juice and bread. But as we come to the communion this morning, a couple of things. Let's put our focus on Jesus. Let this communion be about celebrating Jesus. Let's drop your stand on the floor. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's make Jesus the the focus of what we're doing today. Let's not focus on ourselves. Let's not think, oh, am I worthy? Let's just make this about celebration, that we're celebrating who Jesus is and that we are invited to that future meal and perhaps today you you wouldn't consider yourself as steve said earlier a follower of jesus and you're thinking oh no what if i'm not invited well today and now is as good a time as any to put your trust in him to believe in jesus And when you do so, when you accept Jesus into your life, when you declare him as Lord, when you say, I trust in you and I will follow you, you have got that invitation. You have a seat at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So, as I just finish in prayer, and as we start to to play some music, remember, come, come, Come forward in celebration. And if today is the first time that you're, you're making that decision to follow Jesus, you don't have to do anything special or magical. But do, do tell someone. It doesn't have to be me, it doesn't have to be any of the people you've, you've seen come up today. But tell someone, maybe the person that you came with. It's a reason to celebrate.